0: All right, he's over here. I've been watching this guy for weeks. I think he might be one of them.
1: Yeah, we just gotta be careful. I've heard these vampires can have a lot of tricks up their sleeve.
0: Yeah, gotta play it smart. Here, let's go get him now!
1: Yeah, he's just getting out of his car in the school parking lot.
0: Whoa!
1: Hey, we finally have you cornered. But, uh, before we decide what we're gonna do with you... We have some questions.
0: Yeah, we know you vampires are a tricky lot, and we want to make sure that we're hunting the right monster here. Oh, believe me, if you were looking for a monster, you just caught one. Hey, buddy, we'll be the judge of that.
1: Yeah, Edward, we're going to be the one talking at you here.
0: We'll be asking all the questions. All right. You feel you're entitled
2: to answers? Ask away but you should be scared of the answers you're
0: going to get.
1: All right, buddy. Just simmer down, huh?
0: All right, let's start with the mirror test.
1: Right, right, right. Here, I've got one right here.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, back off. Watch where you point that thing. (laughs) Wait, I, I, I can see him in the mirror, though.
1: Yeah, wait a minute. That shouldn't be possible. Are you sure you're a vampire?
0: Of course I am. That's the face of a killer in that mirror. Alright, well, you know, these things are complicated. Let's just go to the next question.
1: Alright, alright.
0: Okay, bloodsucker. Are you afraid of the sun? Yes, of course I am. Because it shows
2: all the horrible things I've done on my glistening diamond skin. Did he say glistening diamond skin?
1: Yeah. What do you mean you don't burst into flames upon going outside in the sun?
2: No, of course not. The pure light of the sun shows my shimmering, glittery body. It's the body of a killer.
1: Huh, I don't know. This isn't sounding right.
0: Yeah, things aren't adding up. Okay, what about this? Do you need to be invited into a house before you enter? No,
2: definitely not. I've been breaking into this teenage girl's room every night for the last couple of
0: weeks. Uh, What? What? I mean, I think this guy might need to be, like, in jail or something, but I don't think he's a vampire.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you even have any superpowers?
0: Well, of course. I can run fast as the wind.
2: And, uh, I'm supernaturally attracted to virgins.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think we've got it all wrong.
0: Oh, yeah? What do you mean?
1: Look at this. His skin glows in the sunlight, and it's sparkly.
0: Yeah, right.
1: He's super fast... Uh Uh-huh. ...and attracted to virgins...
0: I think I know what we've got here.
1: You're a unicorn.
0: No, what? No, that's not right. Yeah, real unicorn, just like in that movie, Legend.
1: Exactly.
0: I got away with my dark deeds again. (laughs) Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire. The podcast will return low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my sparkly co-hosts.
1: I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a dryad seer. I am kind of like an oracle. I can see the future.
0: Oh, wow. What do you see?
1: I can only see my life as it pertains to my next meal and what I'm going to have
0: next. Oh, what are you having?
1: Blood sausages. Pretty good.
0: Seems fitting for this film, kind of, maybe.
1: I'm not going to like them very much, though.
0: Seems likely for this film, kind of, yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, that's totally awesome. I'm Jack Olander, a mystical horse disguised as a high schooler.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Are you the school mascot?
2: Uh, No. I I applied, but... No, they didn't go for it. No. Oh, okay. Didn't look good in that sparking outfit? No, there was, there was a mystical cowman hybrid that won.
1: Oh, that makes also sense. Also
2: disguising as a high schooler. Uh, maybe <laughs> next year. Yeah. All
1: you have to do is put on a hat and a jacket and you're good.
2: Yeah, well, actually, neither of us ever graduate, so I don't know if I'm ever going to get a shot. Fummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, immortality.
0: That's tough. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, the time has come. We've got another patron-voted movie to talk about this week.
1: It's one that also, Jack, you have been hounding us to watch, and so that's why we included it on the poll this month. And uh, the patrons have spoken. They they side with Jack.
2: We all knew you wanted this to happen, and you were willing to pay up for it, too. <laughs>
0: And hey, if you want to vote on the movies we watch every month, too, you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up for a monthly donation to the show.
1: Yeah, we have a few different tiers you can check out, and you also get access to other bonus episodes that we provide to our patrons every month.
0: They're really fucking funny.
1: We do outtakes episodes and we do our own version of a movie pitch called rewriting history so that's a lot of fun
0: we've also got a really awesome new year's movie pitch for swords and satire the movie coming up later this month so this is like the perfect time to become a patron
1: it really is It's going to be great.
0: We, uh, just to to whet everybody's appetite, we come up with a movie where the three of us, played by some pretty amazing actors, meet and hang out with Henry Cavill. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know you want to hear that.
1: That was a lot of fun to record, and I'm sure it's going to be fun to listen to.
0: But guys, we're too busy to keep shilling our Patreon. We've got more important things to talk about. Because this week, we are going to be discussing the 2008 massive hit, <laughs> Twilight.
1: I thought you were going to say problematic teen drama.
0: That too. That's implied. Right. So this movie was directed by Katherine Hardwick, and it stars Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. And also that Taylor Laudner kid. Right. Kind of. He's in it.
2: Just to show off the brightest smile you have ever seen.
1: Is that Jacob? Yes. Oh, okay.
0: The brightest smile and the rock hardest abs. Yes. <laughs> but guys, before we shower this movie with uh praise and adoration, right?
1: I think you're you're talking about puke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna cover it in sparkles.
1: Oh, yeah, there you
0: go. Uh, But before we do that, I think Chelsea has a summary ready to go.
1: That's right. So this movie is about your average teen girl who...
0: Is a blank slate so that audience members can imprint on her.
1: And who hates people, but she's just so charismatic, people can't help but be drawn to her. And uh, she moves from Arizona to Washington to live with her dad, who's the police chief.
2: He's got a mustache because he's a cop and a dad. True.
1: So half of the movie is her going to a new school and finding some new friends and being attracted to this uh, weirdo that looks like he's going to puke as soon as he sees her.
0: (laughs) He looks deeply ill when she walks into the room.
1: Yeah. Either that or he has to take a shit, like, in a bad way. Um.
0: <laughs> As opposed to in a good way. <laughs> it's
2: that feeling of love at first sight, like you might vomit and come at the same time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's coming out of all ends, all orifices.
1: Um, there's a brief interlude where... There's an awkward kind of non-courtship between Edward and Bella.
0: Which are the characters' names if we haven't said them up to this point.
1: And um, it's awkward for the audience members because it's all completely manipulative and abusive. And I think she has Stockholm Syndrome.
2: It's a uh, It's a courting process that is very similar to the cantina scene in Star Wars.
0: A wretched hive of scum and villainy?
2: Yes. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's very much one of those, I don't like you, my friend doesn't like you either, I'll be sorry, you'll
0: be dead kind of courtships. <laughs> 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 Shit, I think you just nailed it, Jack. Yeah,
1: yeah, enough said. There is a um, baseball scene that might be the best scene in the movie. Yes. And then... I mean,
0: undoubtedly, kind of...
1: There's this convoluted plot that begins in the last 40 minutes. I think it
0: begins in the last, like, 20 minutes.
1: Okay, I was being generous.
0: (laughs) I refuse to be generous to this movie. In
1: which Bella is hunted by a rogue vampire who's part of this trio. And Edward and his family work together to try to save her. She has to, like, be really mean to her dad for no uh, explicable reason. And uh, then she's caught anyway, but then Edward and his family just, like, gank the dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty accurate, actually.
1: Uh, Then she's in the hospital. Everything's fine. Her dad forgives her, and she decides to stay in Washington and keep going to school there because, like I said, she has Stockholm Syndrome.
0: And they live happily ever after. Right? The end of series, right?
1: Oh, wait, I think there's four more movies after this.
0: Sweet Jesus. Only
2: terror and pleasure await you to come.
0: (laughs) We've got a real Hellraiser scenario here where (laughs) we don't know the fine line between pain and pleasure anymore. We're going to push that boundary. (laughs) Yes, I think think that's accurate. All right, well, that was an amazing summary. Why don't we head into the Delve? The romantic Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Twilight.
1: The Last Airbender.
0: (laughs) God. Now that would be something. That's a crossover that I just need to never have happen, ever.
1: Or it would be great.
0: Now, actually, if Twilight was
2: remade with M. I Shyamalan redirecting it? Okay, I'm I'm back on board guys. Yeah. I could be hyped for that.
1: Oh like a reboot. Yeah. Hell yeah.
2: With Marky Mark as Colin. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. Wait,
1: they're the Colins. Marky Mark could be the dad. He could be Carlisle.
2: Yeah, exactly. You're telling me that these vampires are coming after my
0: my Bella? Yeah, he would he would be Bella's dad for sure. Oh, yeah, Under, man. he would yeah. be the
1: fucking cop.
0: Yeah, of course he would. Yeah, that fits. That fits really nicely. <laughs> I want to cast Bruce Willis as Carlisle.
1: Oh my god. Oh this is
0: a pretty sick casting so far, actually. <laughs> I'm just going to name people from M Night Shyamalan movies that I know exist.
2: Oh, I <laughs> That see.
0: is the end of my list. Bruce Willis and Marky Mark.
1: Now, this means that we could use uh Samuel L. Jackson be part of the crew too. Oh,
0: absolutely. He's playing Bella.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Or
0: Edward, either way. <laughs> I mean, I honestly he would make a pretty convincing Edward, since Edward is a very threatening character.
1: Yes, and he's supposed to be quite a bit older.
0: So it actually kind of works.
1: So it puts it into, like, the right perspective that not enough of these, or any of these do. Like, he was changed later in life. There you go. And he's an older guy, and so it really shows you, oh, this age difference. This isn't okay!
2: <laughs> That's the perfect segue to what I was going to bring up.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, we should probably talk about the movie we actually watched.
2: Do we have to? <laughs> well, we effectively are starting a rewriting history at the beginning of the episode. And
1: <laughs> and we're being paid to do this.
2: <laughs> More of those on our Patreon listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we will rewrite this one. Who Little can say? A sneak
1: peek there.
2: Yeah, yeah. But... Vampire movies. All I can say is vampires—they love to date young people, no matter how old they are. It's true. This is accurate,
0: now, based on pretty much every vampire movie ever.
2: Queen of the Damned, vampire listat, hundreds of years old, settles with like a sixteen-year-old, right? No, eighteen. No, she's, I think she's she's in her twenties. Oh, she is. All right. Well, the age gap is pretty she never similar. Got
0: pretty Buffy. similar in this. Buffy the vampire slayer. Angel is what? 120 and he's dating 16 year old Buffy.
1: So you're saying all vampires are pedophiles.
2: Uh, potentially yes.
0: <laughs> I don't know how it
2: works when you're dead. Don't know how the law extends to you. But uh, Edward is 150 around that in this. That yeah. sounds Bella is 17 right. or 18. Not even. 17. I think she's 16 or 17. It's She's going to prom. So she's a senior. Yeah.
1: She said she's a junior and so is Edward.
2: Oh, how did they go to prom? Interesting. I think anyone can go to...
0: Well, I guess it depends on the school. I, I guess it, so. Interesting. I am nearly 40, so I don't remember what high school was like. Right. Well,
2: Edward is around 150. Bella is like Sixteen or seventeen?
1: Yeah,
2: it's not a good conversion rate, no. right? No, it's really not good at all. Those don't go well together.
1: But he was seventeen when he was turned, so yeah, okay? Question mark.
0: That is the tone that the so the movie tries to address this, and I don't think that counts no. because he is not like locked in amber with say the emotional state of a 17 year old like he seemed well okay arguably he became uh like the emotional development of like an angry boomer but
1: yeah i think what we're talking about is more like not just a problem of this franchise i think it's a problem with most vampire lore and media or at least modern
2: it's true developmentally Like, Edward has the emotional issues of a teenager. That's fair. But, like, developmentally, he is an adult. Yeah. Basically. I mean, in a lot of ways, he acts like a grown person. And he was from, like, the mid-1800s. So, at 17, maybe he was a young adult at that point. So,
1: he's, like, functionally an adult, but he has the emotional maturity of a teenager, you're saying?
0: It's true. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the uh, physiological rules of this world if his brain continued to develop after vampirism because his body doesn't, right? I mean, in the fiction of this film, he's a 17-year-old. Yeah, it's true. Whether or not Robert Pattinson was like probably 25 when he played this part, that is a very common thing in films to have high school characters played by (laughs) 20-somethings, because maybe listeners are aware of this or not, a lot of times that's something you do so that you don't have to have teachers on set and follow, like, child labor laws with your actors. True.
2: Interesting. But let's look at some of the ways uh, Edward is not
0: emotionally developed. Okay. Which seems to be one of the major uh, driving plots of this film. Perhaps, like, Three quarters
2: of what this movie is about. Is Bella a, a pretty nice young person. And that's it. Uh, go ahead. she's She's nothing if not plain and disassociated. She's not unpleasant. She's just nice. And she's... uh It's about her exploring the troubling parts of Edward's personality.
1: And she
0: likes what she sees.
1: Yes. I think she's... Cognitively intelligent, because it shows, like, in her science class that she knew what the answers were and stuff.
0: Chelsea, she also knows how to Google information about mythical monsters and determine that the people she knows are actually horrible creatures of the night. That's pretty smart.
1: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, in terms of relationships and emotional intelligence, she's pretty lacking, too.
2: Yes, that's right. One of the main things that she sees, like we said, when she first walks into the classroom and sees Edward, (laughs) she is startled by his extreme repulsion and leer at her entrance. He literally is, like, keeling over with physical reaction.
1: And holding his mouth like he's trying not to vomit.
0: Now, I have to imagine this was a choice by Robert Pattinson, because... Some listeners may already know he hated these movies while he was acting in them. Now, I'm sure he kept being in them because they were quite profitable and he probably was, uh, you know, making good money being in them. But from what I've heard from like DVD commentary tracks and stuff, he has like open animosity towards these films. That's right. So the first thing Bella sees about this
2: guy is, uh, He feels very negatively towards her on sight.
1: (laughs) A match made in heaven.
2: And uh, they they exchange a few words, and he decides not to show up to school for a couple of
0: days. (laughs) Is that because he's feeling negative? I thought it's because he was, like, so attracted to her blood scent. We didn't know that at the time. This is purely from
2: Bella's perspective. Okay, okay,
0: I see.
2: And she's like, all right. I I sort of want to know what this dude's deal is, right?
0: (laughs) I mean, if somebody showed open revulsion to me, I guess I'd be like, but why, though? Yeah, Yeah. she
1: she went so far as to, like, sneak a sniff at her own pits to make sure she didn't stink. (laughs)
0: It's true. (laughs) That's actually a pretty good scene. I like that. (laughs) And so,
2: like, she does do the, like, normal thing where she says, what's the deal here, man? And... I forget the answer he gives, but anyway, she sees it as an open invitation to start getting to know this guy <laughs> on
0: a deep level.
1: He, he shows revulsion and avoidance of her. She's like, I gotta dig in deeper here. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Not a great impulse when it comes to looking for a mate, I don't think. No. A partner.
2: Well, in supernatural romance and fiction, mates are like a thing. True. Because this is a universe that has, like, a soul-bond, love-at-first-sight sort of system.
0: Yeah. Oh. that's That seems to be the case, right? Because, like, Edward talks about how his, like, attraction to her is so strong, and everybody around her seems to kind of be gravitated towards Bella, who is, again, very much a blank slate character.
1: She's like a wallflower.
0: So, I've read different, like, fantasy
2: fictions and fantasy eroticas. And a lot of times to get around the problematic aspects of the relationships between the characters that would be red flags and abusive, like in this film, they say, oh, yeah, but they're werewolf mates, which means by destiny, they're a perfect couple. No matter how problematic they are, eventually
0: they'll get over it right (laughs) that's certainly an attempt to address it whether or not that does a adequate job i think is up to debate exactly i'm just saying it
2: is a common trope right right yeah and this series does the exact same thing like what you said jamie edward tells bella later on like Oh, yeah, I pissed and shit and came myself because I I smelled your blood. I wanted to drink you like a Capri Sun and me rock hard. <laughs> just
0: stick a straw in your...
2: I just wanted to stick a straw in your throat and drink deeply. I was so obsessed with you, I had to get away from you. You're like my own personal brand of heroin.
0: Now, let me ask you the a question. I'm not familiar with a lot of... um. Drug culture? Does heroin have a brand? Nestle <laughs> would. Nestle <laughs> brand heroin. If they could, they would.
1: <laughs> oh, I believe
0: it. I mean, I'm sure that some of those companies that used to sell, like, the cocaine sodas and stuff. It's true. Heroin soda just never took off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yeah, not yet. Cyberpunk future, here we go. <laughs> uh, yep. But it, they're definitely going for the soulmate angle. I see. And I think that's why... But
0: oh, it seems like everybody's yeah. kind of like pulled to Bella, even though she offers very little reason to be interesting to anybody, besides the fact that she is the new girl.
1: I guess I saw that... I could see how like, there's a soulmate thing just having not read the books and purely going off of this movie. At the end, they kind of talk about that during the dance and stuff. Yeah. And like when she's in the hospital bed, she's like, I can never be apart from you. I just kind of read that as...
0: Codependency like, the motherfucker. Yeah,
1: her being codependent or like indoctrinated into his cult.
2: <laughs> yeah, it seems a lot like she is as obsessed with him as he is with her. And he is supernaturally obsessed with her. So I think it's got to be a soulmate thing, and also I know from other movies it's a soulmate thing.
0: That's fair.
1: Yeah, that is fair, and it's like this idea that you can only have one soulmate is common, and that that means that you will be obsessed and codependent on one another is kind of a common trope. Not just with vampire movies, either.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, unfortunately, I think in this particular case, because of the dialogue in this film and the coding throughout the movie, it creates what I would say is a fairly unhealthy view of romantic relationships.
2: Yeah, fairly. Definitely. Fairly.
0: I'm trying to be fair here. I am deeply concerned about the message of this movie that somebody who is telling you, I am a violent individual who is dangerous to you, who can and absolutely would hurt you if I didn't, like, exhibit every ounce of self-control I have.
1: And who, I may lose control at one point.
0: And not only that, but I, I need to control you. Right. That's, I mean, the violence thing is the most troubling. The need to control is also incredibly troubling. He
1: does that through psychological manipulation throughout the whole film.
0: yeah. He Edward is already deeply overprotective of Bella and doesn't want her like kind of showing any autonomy once he has decided that she is his partner.
1: Right, or mate or whatever. Um, just putting it in terms of like the supernatural beings and how they think about it. Um, like Jack, you were saying. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he keeps trying to push her away, and then when she resists he tells her that they are meant to be together or something.
0: And yeah, that, it's it's a very, like, strong mixed messaging.
1: <laughs> it, it's like reverse psychology used to manipulate her. He tries to push her away and then tells her he can't live without her constantly.
0: Yeah, here's the reason to me that it rings so hollow is that if the character was going to say, like, we can't be together, I have to disappear, and then Bella was going to, like, go on, like, this long journey to, like, find him. Like, I'm not saying that would be a better story from Bella's perspective, but it would paint Edward in a better light. Instead, though, Edward keeps saying, oh, I'm dangerous for you. Let me always be around you at all times, by my own accord. I think you're going to like the second movie. (laughs) (laughs) I... I doubt it, but I will leave that to... uh, No, you're not going to like it. (laughs) I'll leave that to to the future. Um, No, like, if he knew that he was potentially dangerous because of his supernatural nature towards her, and the film portrayed him trying to get away and, like, actually actively avoiding her, that would be a... I don't know if it's a better... It's not a better message, because it would still be Bella pursuing Edward, but it would mean that the character would feel more genuine in what he's saying but i don't believe what he's saying because he says you gotta avoid me but then he pops around every time
1: you gave me a great idea for rewriting history she could we could rewrite her as turning into a vampire hunter
0: oh okay and i'm
2: down for that that's awesome but one of the things you talk oh god there's a werewolf outside guys oh shit (laughs) One of the things you talked about while we were watching the movie was that, like, vampires are monsters only so up until the point that, like, we can think they're still hot. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I forget ty- who mentioned that. yeah.
2: Yeah, because he is supernaturally uh, attracted to her, (laughs) sort of. Accurate. Attracted to her because of this, like, vampire lust he has, right? Right. And he wants to protect her because he has over a 100 years of experience of being a violent... Murder machine. Predator. Yeah. And he explains this to her. And I think a lot of what he's doing is he's trying to drive her away because of that overprotectiveness. But he's not, hes not like, strong enough to deny the same nature which makes him that dangerous person.
0: Okay, so to some extent you're giving him the benefit of the doubt there.
2: The supernatural, yeah.
0: Sure. He's trying
2: to tell her, hey, you gotta leave because I don't have the power to do so.
0: I guess it is... <laughs> it is fair insofar as Bella is visiting temporarily but going to school for a semester or something it seems like she kind of has the ability to leave and go back to Arizona whenever she wants. So giving Edward the benefit of the doubt, which feels dirty coming out of my mouth, but sure. She has the power to relocate and he doesn't. Not that she should necessarily have to, but it is like, I guess if I was living in a house with like a mummy's curse I might be like, well, you know what? I guess I'm going to move out of the house. It sucks. I don't want to have to, but I want to be away from, like, the blood scarabs that are going to come hunt me down. If you thought of the series sort of like,
2: I moved to this new area, but this one bear has my scent. <laughs> yes, there we go. I'd better fucking bail. But she decides, no, she wants to stay because she likes him. Also, soulmates or whatever. Yeah. So I think he's doing his best to protect her, but he like literally cannot stop himself because he's not a human. I think the dangerous part of it is that viewers will think of th- these urges as like a normal human interaction, like you're saying. Yes. I don't think it's supposed to be read as a human interaction.
0: I guess that's, that's fair. interesting. I I assume that it was, but I mean, I think it's pretty open to interpretation. Sure. Yeah.
2: I wouldn't read it as human. That's I think... That's weird.
0: <laughs> so maybe it is an unfortunate side effect of popular fiction that people might have a tendency to essentialize the qualities of relationships they see in films? But
1: what, what our art does is reflect reality. Yeah. And... What the author and like creative team behind the movie are saying is they're saying things about love and relationships, and none of that is very good.
2: <laughs> it's true. Well, I think that takes part in what Jamie said about this being a female power fantasy.
0: To some extent, yes, that is a, an argument I made while we were watching the movie. I said that some aspects of this movie make it read as a female power fantasy as far as having this character who comes to a new town, is instantly beloved and accepted, and is romantically pursued by a number of suitors who are basically obsessed with her. I mean, I I know, I haven't seen the other movies, but I know that later on Jacob becomes a romantic interest too, and there's a love triangle thing. But just like this idea that like there is somebody who is so infatuated with you, and I think it could be you know it could be a power fantasy for any yeah, it's true person who wants romance in some flavor of this.: It's
2: just a power fantasy. Yeah. yeah,
0: but the fact that the specific relationship that we see is so incredibly entwined with the language of abuse makes me deeply concerned for the messaging of this film.: Me too. I'll tell
2: you what though. I think Edward, one of the ways he's supposed to be coded as a good guy, is showcased by the villain vampire in this movie, Jason, whatever
0: his Uh, name is. I think it's Jason, yeah. Yeah. James. James. James.
2: All right. So, Edward is immediately obsessed with her, right? Yes. But he tries to hold himself back, and the most he does that is, like, unprovoked is talk to her. And tell her, like, oh, you should stay away from me, even though he is the one going up to her saying that. Like, the most he is actually doing to her is talking to her and helping her, right?
0: As you're saying this, like, that is one of the parts of the film that makes it feel the most like Edward is still a teenage boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm attracted to this girl. I don't know how to get her attention. I guess I'll be a dickhead.
2: Well, what I mean to say is he's obsessed with her and he is trying to get her to leave. And he kind of tries to do it in a nice way. It doesn't work. (laughs) What I mean is, is he talks to her and he like asks her to go away. Right. And he's trying to give her warnings. James is immediately obsessed with her on site and makes a big game out of tracking her down and killing her and her loved ones. Right. Sure. So we could see that as too, as, like, I think James is the more, like, expected reaction of what vampires will do when they see her as well. Because we see at other scenes in the film, when they bring her into the vampire's house, they have to all mentally prepare themselves for her,
0: like, arrival and stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: it's this idea, I mean, it, it goes back to this idea of vampires being monsters, right? But, like, that they cannot be around people without... Craving to feed on them, but this doesn't totally track within the fiction of the movie itself because Edward's basically adoptive father, Carlisle, is a doctor who works in a hospital around like trauma patients and people who are bleeding all the time, presumably, because that's what hospitals are like.
1: Well, what I got is more that they have to build up their willpower to be able to resist human blood. Sure, And he's had a much longer time to do so. He seems much more in control. So does Esme and some of Edward's siblings.
0: I don't think Edward's siblings seem like they're in control at all. They seem like they are having the same issues being around Bella that Edward does. Rosalie, one of the sisters, is like staring daggers at Bella at all times.
1: That's because she wants to fuck Edward.
0: Probably that too.
1: Um, Emmett is the only other one who has trouble because he has been turned the soonest out of all of them.
0: Is Emmett the vampire who is played by our beloved Chad Hercules from one of our first episodes of Swords and Satire?
1: Yes, I'm saying the wrong person. Jasper. Jasper. Jasper is the one who is newly turned or compared to the rest of them. So when... Jasper sees Bella. He is having a visibly hard time dealing with being around a human and controlling his urges. And the way it's framed in the movie, it reminded me a lot of an addict who's trying to avoid giving into urges after newly quitting. And, um, they like are trying to kind of give him a pep talk and telling him he can do it and everything and he's like shaking and just trying to say hi to her and it's kind of awkward the whole scene where she's introduced to edward's family is very awkward
2: that's true and i think the movie where a vampire is attracted to a human should be problematic in a lot of ways (laughs) I don't know if it has to be. I would argue it. maybe it does. (laughs) I'd like to hear the reasoning, though.
0: If the vampire is supposed to be a sympathetic character, then framing them in, again, like the language of real-world abuse is still a choice by the author. Making them a vampire who's been a vampire for 150 years when the human character is not... Edward could have just as easily been a vampire who was just turned. Yeah, that's true. That would have been And, cool. and it would actually be, I think, a more compelling story. Because it'd that, be a more original story.
1: And that could explain why he's having such trouble with his willpower.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if the point is that a young vampire in this movie is framed like a Hollywood portrayal of addiction, then Edward should be, like, is either been struggling with his blood addiction for 150 years and is not dealing with it. That's also, I think, a really interesting vampire story idea, but that's not really the framing of the movie. He's supposed to be this experienced man. He's like an older, knowledgeable man, but in the body of a 17-year-old, so it's okay, but it's not okay because he's kind of terrible and mean and the type of person who... I think people should avoid relationships with until they've had some time to work on themselves. It's sort of the, like, the
2: assumption that love can fix an abusive person.
0: That's, I think, one of the things that I find most troubling about the framing of this relationship. It's very
2: common in romance novels. Someone has a lot of, like, trauma that has developed, like, very bad habits, like abusive habits and stuff like that. And Edward is definitely one of the people that suffers from that. A new nature and a history of being villainous. And now he's fallen in love. And I think a lot of the abuse that happens in this movie is him having that conflict of nature because he's gotten into the habitual ritual of, like, being a monster who has become, like, quote-unquote vegetarian like he said (laughs) so he thought he was a bad guy who became a good guy and now he's sort of developed something that he wants to hold on to and something able to be lost right
1: i think the addiction reading holds because of the way that they're coaching jasper and his reaction to bella and also edward calls her his personal heroine
2: it's true sure you're very right so I think in that sense, he's developed a lot of like bad tendencies, which make him abusive. And since he is trying to fall in love, they have to be addressed and it has to show him making a lot of mistakes.
0: See, I I, I see what you're saying and I agree. But then there's no arc in this film because at the end of the movie, he has not changed. He hasn't learned. He hasn't begun to, um, I I don't know if that'd be any better either because having a character just suddenly be like, oh, I've been abusive this whole film, but true love actually fixed me isn't a great message either. But there's no separation. He gets what he wants. It's true. Uh, There's no no need for him to atone for anything. He was perfect all along as far as the movie is concerned. It seems like. That's my reading of it. I was going to say, If you're
2: looking at it from the perspective of someone with a very difficult life is having trouble loving and they're making a lot of mistakes, I think the more, like, appropriate way to display that would be it not working out. Exactly. exactly, But him learning something from it. And I don't remember if they do that throughout the series. But if this movie had been a standalone and not part of a series, it would not have shown that at all. That's true. Yeah. But I think that's a much better way to show this. And maybe they do in the other movies. I don't remember. Most of what I remember about them is not the romance plot. (laughs) (laughs) It's the baseball, right? It's the baseball. The best part.
1: That was where it seemed like they could really let loose and have fun as characters. And it was kind of like a nice break from the awkward tension of the rest of the movie.
2: Yeah, it's true. The best part about vampires is not their capacity to love, in my mind. <laughs> Gonna throw that out
0: there. It's them having a bunch of
2: superpowers. Yeah.
0: Sure. I mean, if this was just a movie about vampires, uh, you know, doing cool vampire stuff, I'd be on board. If it was called Vampire Baseball... <laughs> I may watch Vampire Baseball. That that's a oh, movie I could shit. get behind too. That's sick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they have their own league.
0: And then in
2: parentheses, <laughs> muse music video. <laughs> oh god.
0: Yes. That's what it was. Yeah, but instead what we get is basically I would say a primer on red flags to look out for with a new partner.
1: And if you see those, don't go, don't be like the bull and go running towards them.
0: That's right. Like, one of the first things Edward does after he saves Bella's life through an extraordinary feat of superhuman behavior, which is running at flash speeds, stopping a van with his bare hands and saving her, she notices that that is not a normal thing that humans do, and then he goes... Oh no! You're wrong. That didn't happen. He is gaslighting her from the beginning. Yeah. He keeps denying it.
1: And then when he she insists that it what of what she saw was insistent, he was like, "Well, good luck getting anybody to believe you."
0: Yeah. These are things that if anybody said them to me at the beginning of just a friendship, I'd be like, "You know what? Nope. Don't need this person in my life." Yeah. I have no idea what he
2: should have done in that situation. He (laughs) fucked himself a little bit.
0: That's fair. I mean, I think there's an interesting version of this where a vampire or a person with superhuman powers makes a choice to use those powers to help someone and is exposed for them. I mean, this was a better version of the Man of Steel, right? Where Pa Kent is telling Clark, like, you can't show who you are. If people know that you're superpowered, like, they'll lose their minds and you'll be in danger and everything. We'll all be in danger. But this idea about, like, somebody with superpowers having to reveal themselves to protect somebody that they are realizing that they might be in love with, and then having to deal with the fallout of that, is also a better movie, I think. Yeah, it's true.
1: It would also have repercussions for his whole family.
0: Yeah, and like a choice that he made, you know, breaks the masquerade in uh, *Vampire: The Masquerade* terms, and he has to be dealt with accordingly. Or, and you know, that could be the arc of the movie. There's literally other vampire fiction, like the role-playing game *Vampire: The Masquerade*, that addresses things like what do you do when a vampire exposes themselves to humans.
2: Yeah, you see, that would have been way more interesting also. The antagonists being his family because he's outed himself. That would have been
0: really cool, actually. So the summation I'm getting is that there's so many versions of this movie that could have been great if we wrote it. That's true. Also
1: the source material, because this is based on the novels.
0: There's a novel? So, I, we talked about the baseball scene. To me, the baseball scene unlocked a lot of this movie for me. Yes. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it, because there's not a lot of class discussion in this movie. Right. Overtly, oh is what I my mean to say.
2: <laughs> Is this a class struggle segue? Mm,
0: not exactly, but kind of. What we do have is a lot of adoration for old-timey Americana and what I would say are considered by many to be traditional values and behaviors. And by what I say considered to be, there is a idealization of the past that exists in a lot of media and in actual people's worldviews and beliefs. And this movie very much situates itself as representing this old timey traditional value system, right? So what we have is Bella coming from the big city of Arizona, a more populous place, not, not, not that Arizona's a city, whatever city she's from in Arizona. I don't know if they mention it is. A bigger, more metropolitan place than this small town of 3,000 people, apparently. Yeah. The, that are supposed to be in the town that she moves to. Sure. Although, fork, yes. Fork this town. Yes. I mean, fork this town. Yes. There's only supposed to be 3,000 people in the town. The size of the school seems to belie that reality, but that's neither here nor there. But, so, she's coming from the big city. I don't know why they chose Arizona. You can pick any city in the world. Just say she's from New York. It's all, It's going to be a fish out of water story, whatever. Um, so she comes from the big town, the big city, into the small town. Where things are simpler and people are, are nicer. But there's this weird undercurrent, right? Like It's not that the town is dangerous, though. It's there's an element of the town that is dangerous. Right. But the people there are good, hard-working folks. Her... Dad is a police sheriff, gosh darn it. He's a loving father who's trying really hard, but doesn't quite know how to bond with his daughter. But at the same time, like, her dad, Charlie, is kind of like one of the most sympathetic characters in the movie. We can view him and say, like, oh, boy, yeah, sometimes it is hard to connect with somebody you love when you don't really have a lot in common. Then we've got this kind of timeless imagery of, like, the Cullens, right? They're vampires from 150 years ago, some of them. They wear these old-timey baseball costumes. They go out and play baseball, the American pastime. Yes. What's more innocent and pure than a game of good old baseball? No animosity, just play ball. Yeah, it's true. And they're wearing these, like, Basically, like what look like turn of the century baseball outfits. Yeah. And like, they're obsessed with the game. Like, it's, a, it's again, this very Americana adoration of the past type of thing. And the real censure for me are Edward's values. Like, he insists on introducing himself to Bella's dad, Charlie. It's this. It's this traditional thing you do. And he's like, no, that's just the way you do things, you know? it's The movie is pushing this worldview of, you know, well, kids today just don't really get the good old-fashioned values that me, a 150-year-old vampire obsessed with a 17-year-old, knows (laughs) are right. Like baseball and small-town living. Right. And marrying an underage girl. You know, tradition. Yeah.
1: I guess that helps explain it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think the story is lionizing these old-timey values and trying to make the case that even though Edward is something of a troubling character, at the heart of it all, he's really a good old-fashioned boy. And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that that the values that he holds up are supposed to be celebrated but then the language he uses when talking to this woman that he's supposed to be in love with is so deeply troubling yeah that it's basically impossible for me to sympathize with this character
1: I mean, not only does he have to control his vampiric urges around her, but also sexual urges, um, like, which I'm okay with because of the age difference. <laughs> that but, he's
0: controlling uh, it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that makes me think re- or remember that uh, this this book series was written by a woman who is a Mormon. And uh, that just means that those values uh, kind of creep into the literature and the franchise.
0: It seems like that might be what's happening. And I I know that there's articles you can read online that would make the same case.
1: Right. I mean, when you're the writer, you can't help but have some of your own values kind of bleed into your work, you know? Uh, so it makes sense.
0: Well, guys, there's probably a lot more we could say about this nearly perfect movie, but we should probably head into the smithy. Welcome to The Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, you're the most familiar with this series, so do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature, and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 fangs?
2: Yeah, it's not going to surprise anyone. Vampire Baseball is the most epic scene. It has Supermassive Black Hole by Muse as the song. Very fun tune. The premise is that they have to play during a thunderstorm because their super strength makes thunderclaps when they hit the ball. <laughs> it shows them ragdolling at each other through the air to catch it and stuff. Very silly. Very fun. Gotta love it. It was like a filler anime episode in the middle of a movie.
0: It yeah. was... That's
2: it, accurate. It was amazing. <laughs> and I love it. And I want more. <laughs> The rest of the series is definitely lacking in that. They don't play
0: vampire football in the next one?
2: Not yet. Not that I've seen. No. Maybe I've just forgotten. Vampire soccer? Yeah. No, no. Not American enough. What about
1: vampire volleyball?
2: I'd like to see werewolf lacrosse myself. (laughs) Vampire volleyball? Oh my god. Now that could be cool. Just
0: sparkling in the sun. Yeah,
2: you're right. And uh I've probably seen this movie around five times by now. And uh I started out thinking it was kinda a tormenting experience. <laughs> but through the ages uh it's it's won me over the way that the Star Wars prequels or Cats twenty nineteen have won me over. Oh <laughs> god. I thought you just always loved the Star Wars prequels. Ah yes. No, at one point I thought they were bad, but now I love them. And Twilight is the same.
1: Despite them being bad.
2: Yes, no, they're <laughs> good. I like them. This movie to me is primarily very funny, and it does have some themes that I like, like I like redemption as a theme even though it's problematic. The fact that it exists is a like a a bonus in my mind though it didn't do any favors for Nutcracker in the four realms. But there this movie is uh it's got certain things I can't overlook. It's not so bad, it's perfect, it's so bad, it's pretty enjoyable. That's <laughs> all I would say <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. <laughs> And uh, I'll give this a, a, a what are we rating this?
0: One out of ten fangs. i
2: will rate it a uh, six out of ten fangs.
0: Oh, or should I say baseball bats? Six out of ten fang bats. <laughs> baseball bats. Holy. Like vampire bats. Six
2: out of ten vampire baseball bats. <laughs> yes.
0: That's pretty That good. is an uh, impressively high rating.
2: Yeah. Yes. I enjoy it. is it good well if i was just rating it on that you'll never know
1: (laughs) you'll never tell
0: no that's that's privileged information that is yes all right how about you chelsea what's your epic moment or feature and you're rating from one to ten vampire bats baseball bats vampire baseball
1: okay good distinction there my epic i guess you'd say Feature, my epic person (laughs) is Jacob. He's a good friend. He's a nice guy. He's nice to Bella the entire time. He cares about what she's interested in. He is actually interested in engaging with her and spending time with her. He helped get her a car when she first moved there. He worked on it himself.
0: Damn, yeah. What a fucking rad dude.
1: He always helps his father or uncle who's named Billy Black um, and who is uh, in a wheelchair. And he helps him get around and um, they seem to have a good relationship too. And um, he likes to have fun.
2: (laughs) Edward hates that. (laughs) He does. Kind of seems like it. Yeah, he's not fun.
1: And he has positive relationships with other people too. Pause.
0: (laughs) Pause.
1: And he's a member of the fictional Quileute tribe that is based on the real-world tribe of the same name. Uh, So you're
0: saying that the real ones are not werewolves. I'm troubled that they made a
2: real-world tribe into werewolves.
0: Yeah. I don't know what the best way to handle that is.
2: I know. (laughs) Just imagine if someone turned the Jews into werewolves in a movie.
1: Yeah, it's definitely appropriative, and it's something that a writer like N.K. Jemison, in her master class, which Jamie and I are taking with a friend, has advised against doing. Yeah. Because it's appropriative and insensitive.
2: But the characters in the movie are lovable.
1: (laughs) And he would be a much better... Like, love interest or companion for Bella, much healthier anyway. And they seem to genuinely genuinely like each other.
0: They even have an established relationship. Yes. You're going to hate the next few movies.
1: <laughs> so, oh, geez. I don't even know how to assign a number to a movie like this, you yeah. guys. <laughs> it's hard.
2: It's good. Um, <laughs>
1: Oh, boy. Well, first of all, it was way too fucking long. It did not need to be two hours. It didn't. An hour and a half would be generous for this movie as well. I think that I will be generous and give it four out of ten vampire baseball bats. Nice. There you go. No explanation needed, I don't think. There it is. What about you, Jamie? What about your epic moment or feature and your rating out of 1 to 10 vampire bats? Yes, baseball fellas. bats.
0: Yes, Jane. Well, you guys stole my fucking epic moments and features right out from under me. You really pulled the rug out from me under me on this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry, not sorry.
0: I, I mean, I'm going to half steal it back and just say, like, the native werewolves are the best part, right? Like, they actually feel like... The characters with the most personality. Yeah. They're like both Jacob and Billy, his dad, are fun, charismatic. Billy's like always joking around. He's like really kind and friendly. Jacob seems like this really great dude. He and Bella have this established relationship. The werewolves actually feel like they have lore that is explained in the narrative of the movie, whereas the vampires are just like, yeah, we sparkle in the sun. Like, of course. Are you dumb? Of course. This is what vampires do. There's no, like, reason for any of it or anything, but Jacob talks about how his family's descended from wolves and everything. Like, this this family backstory and lore seems way more interesting and a movie about a character like that would have been much more interesting to me. This is a really fucking hard movie to rate.
1: Yeah. It is
0: like, if it was subversive in any way, or if I felt like it was winking at the audience at any point in the movie, I would think it is possibly brilliant. But it just does not seem to be the case. And from a filmmaking perspective... It uses this green wash filter over every scene in Washington, which I do not understand, other than just to create this otherworldly feeling, but it really just looks like puke. It's the Instagram filter called Gothic Depression. (laughs) Well, it put me into a Gothic Depression. (laughs) Yes. It looks bad.
1: Everybody looks sickly.
0: Yeah, everybody looks ill-
2: That could also be the Seattle lighting. Right. Forks. Washington.
0: Forks. Yes. And again, if I felt at all like the movie was saying, this is a bad relationship, do not enter into this type of relationship, I would also give this movie some credit. But I do not feel like it is self aware. And if it is, it has eluded me completely. And I think it's eluded a lot of other people too. I'm going to give this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, listeners, Jamie has a lost and confused expression. I mean, that's nothing new. Despairing.
0: (laughs) I wanted to like this movie. This movie gets so much hate. I went into it going like, I like a lot of movies that people hate. Maybe this will be fine. I was looking, I was searching for anything to redeem it, and I did not find it. I'm going to give this movie one out of ten fang uh, <laughs> vampire baseball bags because it fails to subvert any of the tropes or to say anything that I think has any real merit.
1: You could probably only get through one inning if you're a vampire with only <laughs> one bat. Because the amount of time you they spent the <laughs> hitting the bats at full speed and strength, they'd probably break after every few pitches.
0: Probably every hit, actually, <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that I think this movie is an objectively 1 out of 10 movie. I'm saying for me, personally, my massive disappointment in it, I ha- I could not rate this movie higher than the Polar Express, which I gave, I think... I guess I, I gave that movie zero out of ten, and then I think maybe two out of ten. Yeah. Or maybe it was the other way around. No,
1: it was that way, I think. And, you know, like we say, this is subjective, and for you, you're including your feelings about how the film turned out, so.
0: Yeah, like, if, if I thought that it was self-aware and nodding to the audience at any point, I would have given it a much higher rate. Well, maybe not much higher, because I don't think it's, like, great from a filmmaking perspective either, or storytelling perspective, but...
1: Oh, jeez, we didn't even talk about the acting, but yeah.
0: I mean, I just try to view it through the lens that the entire time Pattinson is trolling everybody involved. And in that case, his performance, 10 out of 10 baseball vampire bats.
1: No, but um Kristen Stewart, I mean, maybe it was a choice, but uh, it seemed like she felt awkward delivering the lines that she was given.
2: There were a few romantic lines where she was trying to play flustered and it just seemed like she was like having hiccups that were making her nauseous and like she was <laughs> trying not to hyperventilate. Yeah. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up.
1: I mean, maybe the dialogue in the script sucks so much that it was like hard to know how to deliver the line.
2: It just says right here in parentheses, face twitching. <laughs> What do I do there? Just go wild with it. <laughs> just just act. Yeah.
0: What? <laughs> well, there you have it. Um, the episode you were waiting for, or maybe terrified that would ever happen, we've covered Twilight, guys.
1: And this means we've started another franchise that we're going to have to work our way through. Not
0: necessarily. <laughs> we'll see.
1: We're going to watch at least the next
0: movie I'm not making any promises the
1: next one is about the werewolves
0: we'll see
2: they paid for one will they pay for another swords and satire patreon <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what everybody hit me up on social media at swords and satire on Instagram Facebook and Twitter and let me know if we should cover the next episode of Twilight.
1: And like we said, if you want to be able to vote on the movies we watch, like our current patrons, you can become a patron too, right now.
0: If you're hearing my voice, follow Chelsea's direction.
1: Go to patreon.com slash and and join one of our tiers.
2: Oh my god, Jamie has died and turned into a ghost and he's in big trouble. We need your help at swordsandsatire at patreon.com.
0: <laughs>
1: and you will get other perks as well as we mentioned in the beginning want to know what those are rewind to the beginning of this
0: episode <laughs> and listen to it again oh no it's the only thing that will save me from my ghost form that's right
2: but if you Don't have the financial means to save us from our ghost plague. Another way you can support your friendly neighborhood satirists by telling your friends and family about the show. That way you can watch the show or movies that we cover and then listen to the show together. What a fun activity. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Awareness
0: is our most lucrative idea. (laughs) We created the idea of making people know about our show. (laughs) Well, that'll pretty much do it for us this week, but until next time, Hail Hail Crumb! Crumb!